This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys. This morning, if you're online, we're so grateful that you're taking the time to be with us. If you're here live, so glad that you're here. Hey, one more quick announcement. Beginning next Sunday, we have what's called Life Track. It'll happen right after this service, upstairs in the kids' building, free lunch, free childcare. It's designed to sort of introduce you to Life Church, what we're all about, help you take some great next steps. You can sign up online or on the Church Center app. It's a great time. It just takes about an hour. Right after this service, you get a free lunch and free childcare. Hey, today we're continuing, and our series kicked off last week. We're looking at the book of 1 Peter, calling this series Aliens. And so um, you say, why are you calling it Aliens? It's because when Peter starts off the book in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, I'm writing to you guys, and then he calls them, and depending on the translation you look at, so he calls them either exiles or strangers or aliens. And so what Peter is saying to these people is he's saying, hey, I'm writing to you guys and you're living somewhere that's not your real home. It's this theme we see in the New Testament that as followers of Jesus, no matter where we live, that we live in a place but our true citizenship is a part of a different kingdom, the kingdom of God, and we have a different king and his name is Jesus. But it also brings about this idea of being different. And so he's saying, hey, to you guys who, even though you live amongst all these other people, you're not really a part of those, that you're a part of a different kingdom, you're strangers, you're exiles, you're aliens, and that you're different because you're a part of this different kingdom. And last week, we looked at one of these overarching themes of the book of First Peter in the first half of chapter one, um, this overarching theme that, that Peter's challenging these folks that, that, that to faithfully follow Jesus, even though it's difficult. And so these folks were already experiencing persecution for following Jesus, but they're about to experience this incredible increased wave of intense persecution. And so this overarching message we see in, in First Peter a few different times is this idea of following Jesus faithfully, even when it's difficult. And then another theme that we see in 1 Peter is this challenge to really live as aliens, to live a life that's different. I want to talk to you today about what does that look like, living a different kind of life. Really what I want to talk to you about as, as, I, as we look at the last half of 1 Peter 1 is I want to talk to you about holiness and what is that all about. And the thing about holiness or word holy, it's a misunderstood word. Many times, the only time we hear the word holy is, is that many times it's preceding a, a swear word. Or, or if you're a little bit more holy, maybe it's holy cow. Or, or you think of somebody that is holier than thou. It actually has a negative connotation. Someone that's sort of judgy. You're like, oh, they're holier than thou. Or maybe someone that thinks maybe you or someone else is a religious fanatic. They're called a holy roller. And so many times the word holy is misunderstood. Many times it even can have a negative connotation. Or maybe when you think about holiness, maybe you grew up in church. And maybe you grew up in a church uh, that maybe in our parents' generation or our grandparents' generation, that what maybe what holiness looked like to you 
was a bunch of silly external rules, like you can't play cards because maybe someone will think you're gambling, or you can't go see a movie because even though you're going to see a PG movie, maybe someone else will see you going, they'll think you're seeing a rated R movie, or, 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 or maybe there's like one word for poop that's a totally okay to say, and another word for poop that's some kind of okay to say, and another word for poop that you can never say, and you're like, it all means the same thing, Why, what's it all about? First service laugh, whatever's up with you guys. Y'all are a little holier than thou, whatever. And so, uh, and here's the great challenge. It's, it's easy to maybe look at our parents' generation or our grandparents' generation of what holiness looked like that can feel like a lot of lifeless external rules of do this and don't do that. And maybe, maybe at best it felt like something you didn't understand, or maybe at best it felt a little bit silly. But, but or, or maybe at worst, it felt like life-crushing legalism. Maybe at worst, it began to kind of cause the way you looked at God to really kind of be anti the gospel, where really maybe your idea of following Jesus really was mostly about what you did and didn't do, and not as much about what Jesus has already done for you. And the problem with that sort of a model, where it really is very focused on external rules, do this, don't do that, is that for the people that are good at keeping the rules, and raise your hand if you're good at keeping the rules. Now, raise your hand if you're married to someone that seems like a rule gave And uh, now, if you're good at keeping the rules and you grow up in an environment or go to church in an environment where following Jesus is mostly about rule keeping, you feel really good at it. What it can lead to is sort of this pride where, they, where you feel in self-righteousness, where, where it really is mostly about me keeping all these rules, and I'm really good at it, and so I do look down on those that aren't very good at it. Now, raise your hand if you're not a very good rule keeper. If that's you, you're like, you see the rules as sort of a suggestion or maybe a suggestion for other people. Now, the thing is, if you grow up in an environment where following Jesus is mostly a bunch of external rules and you're bad at doing it, then what happens for you is you go through life with a bunch of guilt and shame. You feel like you need to hide the fact that you're a terrible rule keeper. And so because of that, that it just, you just live in constant sense of defeat. But here's the challenge. It's very easy for us to look at our parents' generation or grandparents' generation of what holiness looked like and say, hey, we don't think it's that. That doesn't seem to be what it's about. But what the danger we can fall into is we, we, we reject this one model, but then we never really go on a path to discover, well, if it's not that, what is it about? And so we're going to talk about that today. If you have your Bibles, go over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1, verse 4, 13. Peter says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, what Peter's saying is, hey, this thing that I'm about to, to talk to you about, it's not gonna just come by you floating through life. It's gonna take some attention. It's, uh, the, the language, some translations would even say, gird up your loins. And, and you're like, well, what does that mean? So here's the context. In the ancient world, both ladies and men often wore kind of flowing robes. And so if a man was about to fight another man or was about to do some very uh, strenuous physical labor, he would take the back of his dress and kind of like pull it up in front and then like tuck it into his belt. And so he's gone from dress to shorts in about 30 seconds. Very, very, a lot of upside. And so, uh, and so the idea was that if you try to fight while you're wearing this long flowy robe, you're going to trip over it. You're going to fall. You're going to lose. 
You're, and so the idea is kind of like of removing all uh, uh, anything that could make it difficult for you to fully bring your best. And so Peter's saying, hey, you, this, is, this thing I'm about to talk to you about, it's not a casual thing. It's going to take you being fully alert and on guard. He says, uh, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So Peter, again, just like in the first half of the chapter, is talking about Jesus coming back. And he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, and then this is kind of our key verse, be holy because I am holy. Peter there is quoting from Leviticus 19 and 20, where we're kind of seeing the, the law being given to the children of Israel, and then there's this, this idea of, of where God says, be holy just like I am holy. And, and so when we think about this whole thing, what, what Peter's saying, big picture, is he's saying, you're aliens, and, and you're different. And you're to be different, not to be like everybody else. You're to, you're to live a holy kind of a life. And it begins with living by a different standard. See, what Peter says, what he says here is he's quoting where God says in Leviticus 19 and 20, this phrase, be holy as I am holy. And so the idea of our, for our holiness, the standard for, for which we live is God. Now, here's the thing. One of the great things, our instinct is to compare ourselves to other people. And so uh, if we can find someone that is worse than us, we feel pretty good about ourselves. And the magic of social media and reality TV is you can always find someone worse than you. And so your house is pretty messy, but then you turn on hoarders and you're like, compared to them, we are neat freaks. We are killing this. You can always find someone worse than you. And so, but what God says is he says, listen, everybody, you don't, don't look to everybody else to be the standard. He says, I am the standard. And so our standard is different. And as we look at this whole idea of God's holiness and recognizing that he's our standard, a great place to look is in Isaiah chapter six. Now, the Hebrew word for holiness in the Bible is this word kadosh or kadesh, and which means to, it literally means to cut, to cut off, to separate. It's this idea that, and so as we think about God, it's this big idea that, that he is, is different from us. He's, he's totally, completely separate from us, not in the sense of not being able to be known, but just kind of at this whole other sense of wonder. And so we see in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne. Now, this is written by, by this guy named Isaiah, who, if you were to poll the nation of Israel at this time, who's the, best, who, who, who's the most righteous, virtuous person in the land, they would have said it was Isaiah. So think of yourself as like the best Christian you can think of. So maybe for you, it's your grandma, or maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's like Francis Chan. I was something I, you know, I'll see Francis Chan up like weeping about what a bad Christian he is. And I'm like, if Francis Chan's a bad Christian, then I'm a super bad Christian. And, and, and so this is Isaiah. Isaiah would be like the best, the, the most righteous person in the land, right? And he's describing this vision he has. He says, above, there are these angels with six wings. Two wings covered their faces. Two covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Now, here we see this, what is the song of heaven. As we look in the book of Revelation, and you get a snapshot there, that this is the song of heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. 
The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, the thing about the Bible is there's all these statements about who God is and his character. We see that, that God is love and God is, is gracious and he's merciful. And we see all of these, these kind of random, all of these statements that describe the character of God. But, but with none of those statements, nowhere in the Bible does it say love, 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 God is love. And nowhere does it say merciful, 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 God is merciful, or powerful, 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 God is powerful. The statement that we see, where you see the same word said three times in multiple parts of the Bible about who is God, it's this word, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And this says the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. So there's this kind of evidence of God's power, this evidence of God's presence. But then here's what we see. Isaiah understands this, that it's not, it's not enough for him to be the best guy he knows. It's not enough for him to be the most virtuous person in the land because what he, and when he encounters the holiness of God, what he recognizes is that is the standard. God's holiness is this standard. Here's what he says. He says, woe to me. Like Isaiah is saying, I am really messed up here. And he says, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. R.C. Sproul talks about it like this in his book, The Holiness of God. He says this, he says, if there was a man, ever was a man of integrity, it was Isaiah. He was considered by his contemporaries as the most righteous man in the nation. He was respected as a paragon of virtue. Then he caught one sudden glimpse of a holy God. In that single moment, all of his self-esteem was shattered. In a brief second, he was exposed, made naked beneath the gaze of the absolute standard of holiness. As long as Isaiah could compare himself to other mortals, he was able to sustain a lofty opinion of his own character. The instant he measured himself by the ultimate standard, he was destroyed, morally and spiritually annihilated. He was undone. He came apart. His sense of integrity collapsed. And so this, this whole thing of holiness that, that and when Peter says, hey, you guys are to live a different kind of life, you're aliens, it really begins by this different standard where, where, where we gaze upon the holiness of God and that he's the standard by which we live. And so when Isaiah does that and he kind of has this glimpse of the thrice holiness of God, holy, 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 I, Isaiah said, man, I, I'm not near who I thought I was. I'm not, I don't have it near as together as I thought I did. I, he says, I've said bad things. I'm surrounded by everyone else. That's, that's got unclean lips, and he says, I am totally ruined. And that's why you know that anyone that thinks they really have it together and live a prideful kind of a life, that, they, that they, they, they're not living by the right standard. They're looking at others where you can convince yourself, I'm better than him, I'm better than her. But when, once we look at the wonder of the holiness of God, and that begins to sink deep inside of us, we have this sense of, of oh, compared to that, I am desperately in need of the grace of God. I really think this is what Jesus is talking about as to what it is to be poor in spirit, that when we understand the, the wondrous holiness of God, we recognize I have no spiritual resources to bring to the table. I'm in desperate need of 
the grace of God. And so we live by a different standard. We have been made different and are becoming different. So he says this idea of be holy even as I am holy. And I want to challenge you for the next 10 minutes to love the Lord your God with your minds for a moment. I'm going to just kind of share kind of a, something that's a little bit complex. And if, I, if you don't understand it, it's not because you're not smart enough. It's because I'm not explaining it well enough. Or you're just not smart enough. And so, uh, <laughs> uh, but here it is. So when we think about holiness for the Christian, really there are these, these two ways we think about it. There, there's what some people call positional holiness which is that, that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted in the fact that Jesus lived the perfect life you could never live, and he died the death that you deserve to die, he rose from the dead, and you've trusted in the gospel and really given God the steering wheel of your life, saying, I no longer, it's no longer I who live but Christ, I, I want to follow Jesus, that, that at that moment, you have become as holy as you ever will become. Talked last week about how the Bible said that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so there's this sense that when God looks at you, he, he sees the perfect holiness of his son. He sees the perfect holiness of Jesus. That, that Jesus is this great trade we talked about last week where, where he takes all of our brokenness and sin and then he gives us this, his perfect record of righteousness and holiness. And so there's this sense in which even when you're with Jesus ultimately and with him and like him, you will be no more positionally holy than you are now because when the Father sees you, he sees the perfect holiness and righteousness of of Jesus. And so there's this positional holiness where God has declared you holy because of what Jesus has done for us, where he's given us his perfect record. You are positionally holy. Let me show this to you. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, uh, I want to show you the, a picture of what's called positional holiness and a picture of what's called practical holiness from the same book. Ephesians 1, 3. Here, let me show this for you to you. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. So what Paul, Paul's going to do here, talking to this church, is he's going to use a bunch of past tense language, stuff that has already been completed. It's not something that we're looking forward to. It has already happened. And, and so Paul says, hey, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. To me, that would seem like it would include holiness, right? And he says, why? Because we are united with Christ. And so if I'm united with Christ, then what's his is mine. His holiness is mine. This is past tense, accomplished stuff, stuff that has forever happened. Before he even made the world, God loved us, chose us to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now, on your worst day, you look back at the last three weeks, you say, man, there was about a five-minute period where I was the worst version of myself. You want to tell me the story? I'll be around after. On your worst day, in your worst moment, when God looks at you, if you're a follower of Jesus, he sees the perfection of Jesus. You are blameless in his sight positionally. It is who you are. You are it is fixed and secure. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do. Gave him great pleasure. And he says, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured onto us 
Again, past tense, he's already done it. Who belonged to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom. Past tense, your freedom's been purchased. It's fixed and forever. And he says, and he forgave our sins and showered his kindness on us. And so there's this sense and positionally where you are as holy as you're ever going to be. That's how God sees you. But then practically, there's this sense in which the minute we begin as a follower of Jesus, we begin this lifelong journey of practical holiness, where we begin to live out more and more out of our true self as to how God sees us. And this is this process where there's a partnership between God's Spirit producing the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Jesus in us, and God's Word, and God's people, the church, as we come together and spur one another on with love and good deeds, and us being willing participants who are choosing to pursue holiness. Let me show this to you, that just so you see that there's a sense in which it's been done, all accomplished, but there's this sense in which we play a role in the same book of Ephesians, Ephesians 4. Here's what Paul says. He says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. What Paul's saying is he says, you, you no, no longer live like people that don't know God. And, and so here's the thing. When we talk about being different, we talk about this whole idea of holiness as, as being different, separated, as belonging to God and his purposes. What it means is I'm going to be different than I used to be. Paul, Paul says, hey, no longer live like you used to live when you didn't know any better. He says they're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. What, well, how am I going to look different? I'm going to look different in my relationships. My sex life's going to look different. The way I handle money is going to look different. He says they've handed themselves all, all kinds of impurity and are full of greed. He says that is, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. So now here's these actions. He's He's saying, live this out. He says, to put off your old self. There's going to be choices we make to put off the old self and to put on the new self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Here's the thing. If this was all just a thing, if it was only positional holiness, Peter would simply write, hey, because of Jesus and the whole work of the Holy Spirit, you're holy, and then just, hey, the end. Be a shorter book. But he says, hey, you've been, you've been made holy. God sees you that way, that blameless in Christ. You'll never be more holy in God's sight than you are now, even on your worst day. But, but there is this practical piece where, where there's this work of the Holy Spirit in my life, sanctification, which is simply the process where we become more holy or the process where we become more like Jesus, where the Holy Spirit's working in my life. The Word of God's working in my life. God's people are, are, are bringing out God's, the best in me, spurring me on to love and good deeds. But I also have this choice where, where, where I, I've got this choice day by day by day. Am I going to choose to obey? Am I going to choose to put on the new self and put off the old self? It's this practical 
holiness thing. And he says to put off and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He says, hey, this holiness thing, you're going to look different from those around you, different in, in the way in which you pursue life because you've been set apart for God's purpose. You're going to be different in your relationships, different in your sex life, different in your money. You're different with those than those around you. You're going to be different than you used to be. He says, you're going to be, Peter talks about, hey, he says, hey, don't live like all your ancestors live. Maybe, maybe you come from, a, from a multiple generations of, 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 maybe you say, hey, the, every generation before me has had, had multiple failed marriages. And I come from multiple generations of, of domestic violence and abuse and addiction and just pursuing all of, of, of these wrong things. And Peter says, hey, listen, this just because that's who the people were before you, that's not who you're going to be. He says, you're not, you're, you're different. You're, you've been declared holy. God sees you as blameless, and you're on this journey practically of coming into the fullness of all of that, where you're becoming more and more and more like Jesus, more and more and more holy. You're different than those who have gone before. And then Peter gives us a handful of things to help motivate us to choose holiness. Well, he's, our quest for holiness is motivated, here's the first thing, by an eternal perspective. Peter talks a lot about Jesus coming back, and, 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 and verse 13 he says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And then he goes on and he says in verse 17, he says, since you call on a father who judges each, each person's work impartially, he says, hey, live lives faithful to Jesus. Live the out of, of who you really are. Be becoming more and more this new self who is holy in God's sight. He says, because here's the thing, Jesus is coming. And there's going to be judgment and there's going to be rewards and, and that the ways in which we, we have lived faithfully to follow Jesus to be rewarded, and, but that the ways in which we've wasted our lives, lived out of the old self, those things are going to be burned up. And he says, so because Jesus is coming back, he says, let that motivate you to pursue holiness. We see the same idea in Titus chapter two. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. See, there's these choices we make. Am I going to say yes to ungodliness or no to ungodliness? And worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, because we know Jesus is coming back, we choose to lay aside, to not pursue the worldliness, to not, to not pursue ungodliness, but to, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the church coming around where we make each other better, we choose to live, to pursue holiness, to, to say, God, I, I want to become more like you. Here's second motivator, our adoption into God's family. Verse 14 I love how Peter approaches it from this context of relationship. He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. He says, because you've been adopted into God's family, because he's made you one of his. He says, obey like an obedient child. He says, don't, don't live like, the way you lived when you didn't know any better. But then there's also, we're also motivated, not just because God's our father, but also in this, this sense of reverence, this sense of wonder. Last part of verse 17, he says, since you call on a father who judges each, other's per who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners, aliens, strangers, here in reverent fear. 
Now, I don't tend to think, but for the most part, that when we see in the Bible and talking about fearing God, I don't tend to think that of it in the context of God's just sitting up in heaven and waiting for us to screw up and throw lightning bolts at us and we should like fear like that. I, I tend to think of it more in the sense of like a sense of awesome reverence where there's this incredible awe at the wonder of a God who is holy, 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 who, who is amazing and powerful beyond our imagination. Sometimes I'll, I'll look like if I'm at the ocean and I'll look at the Pacific Ocean and I'll, and I'll think about just how big it is and how vast it is, how it goes farther than I can even imagine, how farther than I could ever see, and that for me to get to the end of that, I've got to get on a plane for like eight hours. It's so giant. And then I'll look at the waves crash, and, and I'll just see, wow, the, the incredible power being just one, one after another after another of wave after wave and just all the power and all of the size, and I just find myself in awe. It's kind of a little bit of a spiritual experience for me. And then I'll think to myself, as big and powerful and huge as that is, and as beautiful as that is, the one who created it is all of that times a billion. Times a billion. Times a billion. Now we're getting into big numbers. And I will just try to just to expand my mind and my heart's ability to ponder the, the, the wonder of God. And, and so it's really this, as much as God is our father and as much as, as he's our friend, I think sometimes we, some people, sometimes our danger can be that, that, that we to see him as too distant where we don't recognize that he's a loving father who we can bring anything to, and he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and that, and that all that, we, for, we can forget that that's true, that he's intimate and knowable and relational and loves us so much. But I think sometimes we can live too much here where, where that intimacy just almost is too familiar. And, and then we're like, we kind of just see the old Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt. If you got that t-shirt, you should throw it away. Don't even take it to a homeless shelter. Like, wow, we were going to take it to a homeless shelter. Because here's the thing. Jesus loves you. God is your father. He's your friend, but he's not your homeboy. He is the infinite, holy, holy, holy God of the universe who, who, who we, we respond in pursuing holiness out of this reverence, this awe of the God of the universe leads us to pursue holiness. Here's the next thing. that God's love in the gospel leads us to, to pursue holiness holiness. Peter says this, 1 Peter 1.18, he says, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down. He says, it wasn't $100 that, that God saved you with. And it, and it wasn't $1,000 and it wasn't a million dollars and it wasn't a billion dollars. It was something far more precious than that. That's what he's saying. He says, but you were saved with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the foundation of the world that was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead. So here's what he's saying. Jesus said, you obey me because you love me. If you love me, you'll obey me. Well, why do we, why do we love God? Because he loved us first. And how do we know he loved us first? The Bible says, but God 
demonstrated. He proved his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so Peter says, here's why you're going to obey like obedient children. You're going to do so because you love him. It's not just a bunch of rules that are pressed onto you from the outside. Do this. Don't do that. It's not a bunch of rule stuff from the outside coming in. He says that real holiness comes as the Holy Spirit of God is working inside your heart and joining in with your heart of love that because you love him, you obey him. We love him because he first loved us. We know he loved us because of the gospel. And so Peter says, hey, the reason you're going to choose holiness is because of all that God's done for you in Christ dying in our place. And here's the last thing and we're done. We pursue holiness because of our love for one another. There's this connection. At first, it didn't really connect to me, but there's this connection between our holiness and our love for each other. He says this, verse 122. He says, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, he says, now that, now that, that, that you've, you've made this choice to pursue holiness, to live lives as obedient children, he says, he says, obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. How is, how is that even connected? I think there's a lot of ways it's connected, but here's one way. That as we pursue holiness, which is really just the character of Christ becoming more and more of the character in my life and it less and less the, the character of me without Christ. And so as, as I more and more and more become like Jesus, as I more and more and more become like God, he says, be holy as I'm holy. He's saying, become more and more like me. As I do that, as I, and this is how you know the difference between holiness that is just a bunch of rules from the outside coming in, which at the end of the, at the end result of that is if I'm good at keeping the rules, I get prideful. If, I, if I'm bad at keeping the rules, I get filled with shame. And neither way do I end up loving more or loving better. Those people become mean, religious people. Churches are filled with them. But the difference between kind of external rules, do this, don't do that from the outside coming in is it usually makes me mean, never makes me more loving. But as I'm becoming more and more like God with the work of the Holy Spirit combined with the Word of God, combined with the people of God coming alongside me to spur me on to love and good deeds, and as I'm choosing to pursue holiness, and I'm seeking God as Word and prayer, as all this is coming together to change me from the inside out, what's happening is I'm becoming more like God, and no one's more loving than Him. And so as I pursue real holiness, not all these rules and legalism, but as it, from the outside, but as, as it's internal transformation, this partnership of God's spirit, God's word, God's people, and me coming together, pursuing it, what happens is from the inside out, I become more and more like God, which just increases my capacity to love over and over. Let's wrap it up I wonder for you, something I've thought about a bunch just preparing for this message is, and if you grew up in church, maybe your parents' generation or your grandparents' generation, maybe their whole idea of holiness was just a bunch of what felt like silly rules or felt like something that began to just drain the life out of you, really felt like it was mostly about what you did and not as much about what Jesus has done. And, but maybe what you fell into, I think super easy. 
said, well, I don't want to do that. If that's what holiness is, that's what they call it. That's not for me. But you've really never stepped back and said, well, if that's not what it is, then what is it? And maybe you've, you've never just stepped back and just pondered the holy wonder, the separate awe of the God of the universe that, that when he says, be holy, it's because I'm holy, that he's our standard. And maybe you've never even pondered, maybe, no, maybe you never read about it or heard about it, this, this whole idea that you've been declared holy, that even on your worst day and your worst moment, that when the Father sees you, he sees the holiness of Jesus, that he, he will never see you as more holy than he sees you on your worst day. And I don't know about you, but I feel like that's the sort of truth that if it, if it really did sink to the core of our souls, it, it really would cause us to go through life with just an overwhelming joy and gratitude. That on my worst day, the Father sees the perfection of Jesus when he looks at me. And that that's the sort of wondrous truth that, that, that really, I think when we grasp it more fully, really spurs us on to want to really pursue a life of practical holiness, where I'm really becoming more and more like Jesus every day. So, Father, we thank you that even though you are a holy God, vastly different than we can imagine, vastly more awesome than our minds can go to, more powerful than our minds can go to, more perfect than our minds can fathom, that, that, that you aren't distant, but that you're knowable and that you love us and know us and, and that you are our Father. And God, we thank you that in your holiness that you've invited us through the work of Jesus. His perfect life that we could never live, his death we deserve to die, his resurrection so we never have to fear death. That because of what Jesus has done, that you, as we respond, trusting in what Jesus has done, giving you the steering wheel of our lives, that when you see us, you see the perfection of Jesus. And God, I pray that the wonder of who you are and the wonder of all that you've done, God, would give us this incredible desire to live this out, to put on this new self, becoming more and more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.